minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Rosh Chodesh, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program.
in the AM. Good morning and welcome to 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world in the web, jmtheam.org. It's Friday on this July 17th. Today is Rosh Chodesh Menachem Av. Today is the first day of Menachem Av, the year 5775, Tav and Hay. Erev Shabbos, Parshos, Matos, and Masse as we close out the book of Bab Midbar. Candle lighting 804 on this Erev Shabbos. 804. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. In Israel, in Yerushalayim more accurately, uh, candle lighting will be around uh, noontime here. So if you want to speak to the people in Jerusalem or Others who hold from the Jerusalem candlelighting time, you don't want to speak to them before uh, 12 noon Eastern time today. Uh, you heard the uh, Yom Shlishi medley that's done by Yossi Rosenberg and company. Ari Goldwag had curry bone. Regesh, of course, Modani opening things up. 67 degrees outside with 82% humidity. Winds are west, 6 miles an hour. Partly cloudy with a high temperature of 80. Then tonight, cloudy skies, a low of 71. Tomorrow, scattered thunderstorms for Shabbos with a high temperature of 85 degrees. Right now, Yerushalayim is at 86. Up in Guilford, New York, our friends at Camp Misora, who are getting ready for a big visiting day this coming Sunday, they're at the 51 degrees, heading up to 81 on this um, Friday, Rosh Chodesh, Erev Shabbos. So the nine days have begun, and um, the nine days have begun. We, uh, because it's Erev Shabbos, because it is Rosh Chodesh, we are going to continue our "quote unquote" three weeks format. We'll get into the nine days programming and the spoken word lectures that um, dominate our nine days programming. We'll start that on Monday morning here at JM in the AM. So make sure to be tuned in for that. And um, that'll go for the entire week. Don't forget, Monday, in addition to Rabbi Beryl Wine and his incredible lecture series, uh, we will play the uh, eulogy that my father gave the Lubavitcher Rebbe 21 years ago. We'll do that Monday about uh, 8 o'clock in the morning here at JM in the AM. 
26 minutes before 7 o'clock. Little over an hour from now. Malcolm Honline will join us. He is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. There's a lot to talk about. I will likely start with at least a word or two about um, uh, yesterday's attack. Mohammed Yosef Abdulaziz, 24 years old, unleashed a barrage of gunfire at two military facilities in Tennessee, killing four Marines and wounding two other service members and a police officer. I start with that on this final day of Ramadan. And then, of course, we'll get into the conversation about the uh, Iran deal, ramifications, strategies, opinion, etc., reaction, opinion, etc. Uh, that'll all be going on uh, starting at 7.40 this morning with the weekly update. Malcolm Holmline will join us. You can tune in anywhere around the world on the NSN app. Please recommend it to your friends and relatives around this globe. It is worthwhile listening in and uh, hearing what uh, Malcolm has to say about the state of affairs. Ah, yes, the state of affairs. Uh, Coming up at 9 o'clock this morning, right after JM and the AM, on jmtheam.org and the NSN app. Naomi Nachman is going to be hosting her latest and freshest edition of A Table for Two. This week, uh, Tony Goodman from Ten Acre Chips is going to join Naomi. These Ten Acre Chips have made an impact in the kosher snacking world, to say the least. Uh, he'll be on today, uh, starting at 9 o'clock. Shlomo and Shifra Klein from Joy of Kosher. They'll join Naomi and Shoshana Shachazuski, a fellow student of Naomi's from the CKCA Summer Intensive Cooking Program, Center for the Kosher Culinary Arts. Um, she will be on as well with Naomi between 9 and 10 o'clock. So as usual, Naomi Nachman has a great combination of guests that will join her between 9 and 10. You can catch it on jmnam.org. In audio form, you can catch it on uh, NahumSiegel.com in video form. And, of course, you could catch it on audio form anywhere around the world from uh, your NSN app. All right. And that is that. JM in the AM. More coming up. Keep it here at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Dum, 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 dum. Dum 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 dum
Asher Malach, Beterem Kol Yitzir Nivra, Liet Nasa Bechef Soko, Atayim Melashemo Nikra, Miachareyo Kichlot Akol, Lebado Yiloch Nora, Bebubayao Bebubove, J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Call Ish with Adon Olam. Sticking with our three weeks format uh, through Rosh Chodesh. Nine days format will begin Monday, it'll last next week, of course. Through Tisha B'Av, which is observed next Sunday on the 10th of Av. Erev Shabbos, Parshas, Matos, and Masay. Today is Rosh Chodesh. All the traditional additions for Rosh Chodesh, including Yalavayavo. Special, a uh, Hallel, special Torah reading, Musaf, Barchinavshin, whatever else your Nusach calls for on a Rosh Chodesh day. Uh, Rosh Chodesh Menachem Av with candlelighting time on this era of Shabbos at 8.04. 8.04 is candlelighting time. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Partly cloudy, a high temperature of 80. Tonight, cloudy skies, a low of 71. Scattered thunderstorms for tomorrow with a high temperature of 85 degrees. Uh, we'll do our news from Israel coming up. Malcolm Honline is going to join us. He is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Weekly update will be on the way at about 7.40 this morning here at JM in the AM. A reminder that Naomi Nachman is going to be on starting at 9 a.m., org, nachumsegel.com, with video there and the NSN app. Uh, and by the way, we welcome your comments on the NSN app. Naomi this week speaks with Tony Goodman from Ten Acre Chip Company, Shlomo and Schiffer Klein from Joy of Kosher, and Shoshana, a fellow student from CKCA's Summer Intensive Cooking Program. It's all happening in a fresh new show, Table for Two, starting at 9 o'clock this morning right here at jmandtheam.org. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live in the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmdm.org. Galay Tal in the background to our news from Israel coming up, and then plenty more, of course, on this Friday morning era of Shabbos. Galay Tal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday. Rosh Chodesh, Erev Shabbos is next. We say Boker Tov, Chodesh Tov from Jamie. גליצה על השעה שתיים, כאן שיר מאיר עם מה שקורה עכשיו. התפרעות אוהדי ביתר בבלגיה. נותן החסות הראשי לביתר ירושלים, בית המסחר אייטריידר, שוקל את המשך ההתקשרות שלו עם הקבוצה בעקבות התקרית. כתבנו שמואל מוניץ. בעקבות התפרעות האוהדים במשחק בבלגיה מול שרלרואה, הודיע בית המסחר אייטריידר, מאחר שאירועים אלו חמורים ביותר, החליטה הבוקר הנהלת החברה לשקול את המשך ההתקשרות שלה עם ביתר ירושלים, והחלטה סופית בנושא תתקבל במהלך הימים הקרובים. גובה החסות של החברה למועדון לעונת 2015-2016 
הוא על סך מיליון שקלים. שרת התרבות והספורט מירי רגב אומרת שתנסה למנוע את כניסתם של האוהדים המתפרעים למשחקים. כתבתנו קרן בן מרדכי שמעה אותה. זה לא קרה בארץ, אנחנו בודקים את זה משפטית, איך אנחנו וכיצד אנחנו יכולים לפעול כנגד אותם מתפרעים. צריך להיות ברור לכולם, בריוני ספורט על המגרשים לא ימשיכו להגיע למגרשים. זה חד וחלק. לא ניתן רוח גבית לאלימות מהסוג הזה על המגרשים. גבר בן שלושים עוכב לחקירה לאחר שהשאיר את בנו, בן שבע, בעל צרכים מיוחדים, נעול ברכב ללא מזגן במשך רבע שעה. המשטרה הגיעה למקום בעקבות קריאות של אזרחים וחוקרת את האב בחשד להזנחה של חסר ישע. בגביע דייוויס בטניס מתמודדת עכשיו ישראל מול סלובניה ודודי סלע מוביל 2-0 במערכות מול יריבו. בכדורגל בהגרלת מוקדמות ליגת האלופות נקבע כי מכבי תל אביב תפגוש בסיבוב השלישי את אלופת צ'כיה ויקטוריה פלזן אם תנצח את היברניאנס ממלטה. תחזית מזג האוויר, טמפרטורות רגילות לעונה. ולסיום, העולם המוסלמי חוגג היום את עיד אל-פיטר בתום הרמדאן וגם הנשיא אובמה מברך. כתבתנו עפרי אשל. עיד מברוק, חג שמח. כתב אובמה בהודעה שפורסמה היום לרגל חגיגות סוף הרמדאן והוסיף, החג הזה הוא תזכורת לכל האמריקנים על חשיבות הסובלנות לכל האמונות והדתות. אני מברך על החלטת העיר ניו יורק להוסיף את העיד אל-פיטר לחגים המוכרים במערכת החינוך הציבורית, כמו חג המולד וחנוכה. עם זאת, ביקורת ציבורית התעוררה על ברכתו של אובמה, שפורסמה בסמוך למסע הירי של מוחמד יוסף עבד אל-עזיז, המוסלמי שרצח אתמול ארבעה חיילי מרינס בטנסי, לפני שנורה למוות על ידי כוחות המשטרה. אלה החדשות שעורכת טלי חזקאלי בצוות טסה פדווה ועידו אשכנזי. פצחתי אני לדודי ודודי חמק אבל נפשי יצאה בדבר ביגשתי ולא מצאתי פצחתי אני לדודי ודודי חמק אבל נפשי
morning, it's JM in the AM, Erev Shabbos, Parshos, Matos, and Maseh as we close out the book of Bamidbar. Rosh Chodesh Av, today is the one day Rosh Chodesh Av as the nine days have begun. We're keeping our three weeks format going through Erev Shabbos. Felt it was appropriate with the uh, a cappella selections. Monday we start our nine days format. Make sure to join us as our Ibero Wines lectures will be played. And Monday you'll hear um, in the 8 o'clock hour my father's eulogy of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, which is always a very popular piece. Candle lighting 8.04 later today. 8.04 is candle lighting time. A lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. 8.04 candle lighting time on this Erev Shabbos. Um... 67 degrees, partly cloudy, a high of 80. Clouds tonight, low 71. Scattered thunderstorms for Shabbos with a high temperature of 85. Yerushalayim is at 86. Up in Guilford, New York, our friends at Camp Masora who are getting ready for a big visiting day weekend. They're at 51, uh, going up to 81. I'm told they won their uh, staff basketball game last night by 10 points. Congratulations, Camp Masora. We're at 67 here in Jersey City as we say good morning at JM and the AM. Uh, I want to thank those who are tuned in to this radio broadcast on more than one radio station. There are a lot of people who are heading up to the Catskill region as we speak and are listening at 91.1 FM, then switch to our Rockland County station, then switch to our Catskills radio station. So a big thank you to everyone who does that. Big thank you to those listening right now on the NSN app from around the world. And I remind you, you can actually tune in. Uh, actually, you could uh, you could open up the NSN app and comment on the home page of the app. That's something that we welcome. 
We also have a listen line. You can call in from anywhere around the world and hear what's going on at 605-562-4400. 605-562-4400. That is our listen line. Malcolm Homeline is going to join us. We'll uh, discuss the uh, Iran deal and a whole bunch of other stuff going on this week. Our weekly update coming up here at JM in the AM. Naomi Nachman has an amazing program scheduled for 9 o'clock. Fresh and brand new, table for two, with guests Tony Goodman from Ten Acre Chip Company, Shlomo and Schiffer Klein from Joy of Kosher, and fellow student Shoshana from the CKCA Summer Intensive Cooking Program. They're all going to be part of Naomi's show coming up between 9 and 10 this morning. JMNAM.org, NahumSigl.com with video, and, of course, the NSN app as well. You can see all of that on my website and enjoy all of it in uh, in audio form on the app and on the web as well. More coming up. Erev Shabbos, Rosh Chodesh morning at JM in the AM. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
Oh, 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 oh. 
is done by Blue Fringe. Koachai had the Krakow Nigun off of the Shabbos Acapella CD, 613, with the Miami mix, including that uh, Yalav Yavo selection, which we played in honor of Rosh Chodesh Av. Friday morning broadcast at JM and the AM. It is, in fact, Rosh Chodesh Av, a one-day Rosh Chodesh, Rosh Chodesh Menachem Av, Erev Shabbos, Parshas, Matos, and Mase, two parshios to close out the Book of Bab Midbar. Uh, candle lighting time at 8.04. 8.04, many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. And um, we are in our three weeks format, even though the nine days have begun. We'll officially transition to a nine days format on Monday here at JM and the AM. Figured for an Erev Shabbos, Rosh Chodesh morning, we should keep the Shabbos acapella selections going. Hence, uh, a three-weeks uh, format continuing on this Rosh Chodesh Av. 67 degrees, partly cloudy, a high temperature of 80. We're at 67 right now on a Friday morning broadcast at JMAM. My thanks to JewishWorldReview.com, who continue to enthusiastically recommend our incredible live stream, including the Elmi Nachman coming up at 9 o'clock with a fresh new show table for two, uh, to all their readers. If you want to uh, print out before Shabbos uh, multiple articles on all the things going on in this world of ours, feel free to do so at jewishworldview.com. Also, a special shout-out and thank you uh, to our friends at OnlySimchas.com who have expanded way beyond the uh, world of Simchas and have really gotten into uh, reporting and to bring to our attention great news stories, many heartwarming stories from around the world, around the Jewish world. And uh, they've utilized a lot of our material recently uh, for that very purpose, and we thank them very much for that. So check out OnlySimchas.com expanded uh, way beyond, as we like to say, way beyond uh, just the world of Smachot uh, here at JM, uh, uh, rather there, <laughs> at OnlySimchas.com. Friday morning on this era of Shabbos, uh, Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Friday mornings at this time for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Uh, good morning. I wonder, if, is there anything to talk about? <laughs> is there anything to talk about? I will tell you there are a lot of very anxious people out there. I'll keep them anxious for another couple of minutes, only because before we talk about the Iran deal, I'd like your reaction to what happened yesterday in Tennessee. A gunman, Mohammed Yosef Al-Duzlaziz, 24 years old, unleashed a barrage of gunfire at two military facilities Thursday in Tennessee, killing four Marines, wounding two other service members and a police officer. The shooter was killed. Law enforcement uh, sources told CBS News that the shooting suspect was identified, as I just said, Mohammed Yosef Abdulaziz. According to a U.S. law enforcement source, he was born in Kuwait, came to the U.S. in 1966, unclear if and when he became an American citizen. Your reaction to this terrible tragedy in Tennessee? One more warning, and coming uh, as we are entering into these, uh, the assessment of the negotiations, the outcome of the negotiations, for the mother of terrorism, 
the major state sponsor of terrorism worldwide, and we are giving them a new lease on life. The results are going to be, it, it, it's certainly uh, visible today. It's inevitable what the result will be in terms of uh, increasing in, uh, the terrorism with new support for Hamas, Hezbollah, other groups. And whether this guy had a direct connection or indirect connection, um, as we know, each time the first reaction is he's alone as a fighter, that he was, uh, there's no connection. And every time they find some connection to a website, an imam, some source, maybe traveled abroad. And uh, I hope people will, will understand the connection. It's not a direct correlation, perhaps, in, in each instance. But certainly this, the leniency with which we are approaching it, the fact that there's nothing on terrorism in this deal, it is a, a message in view of this uh, horrific event. Oh, it's amazing to me how many people disagree with you. And don't worry, I'm not saying that as a criticism. In these cases, we always see, or uh, many times it's proven that those in the minority, unfortunately, are proven to be right. Let's start with the President of the United States, who I have a feeling disagrees with you on some of this. The quote is, and this is from the President from his press conference, with this deal, we cut off every single one of Iran's pathways to a nuclear program, a nuclear weapons program. Could you describe for us the reality, if there is any behind this statement? Well, the, it, the deal phases in, to a certain degree, various um, re, uh, liftings of restrictions, and much of it in the first year, including the release of perhaps 100 to $150 billion in money that is being held in escrow, uh, this does not close off every one of, of Iran's uh, pathways. Uh, as some people pointed out, if you, if you look at, even at what Rouhani said, where he laid out why, um, in fact, they are the victors, why they can claim um, they achieved all they wanted, because when you, you look at the facts, none of the nuclear sites have been shut down. Right. They'll continue nuclear enrichment. No centrifuges are destroyed. Research and development on advanced centrifuges continues, and all of this money will be unfrozen. Second, you're going to have a lifting of the sanction on sale of, of conventional weapons in five years and eight years on ballistic missiles. In the meantime, they're going to hone these things and develop them further. The um, And the pathways, it, it is true that, that, I mean, obviously there are some positives in, in terms of the, some of the restrictions, some of the, the amount of uranium that they can hold. But it, it is not an ultimately a block on, uh, on, on them achieving a, a nuclear weapon. But even the good things that are in the deal, and I, I know what you mean in terms of those, those details, how verifiable are they? What, what type of checks and balances are there that can be put into place to make sure they adhere to even those restrictions? And, and by the way, there are estimates that over the next 15 years, we're talking about five to $700 billion dollars. Remember the oil sales, all these other things that that they will likely uh, uh, benefit from, including perhaps collecting a $50 billion judgment that an Iranian court issued against the United States, saying that they had to pay $50 billion for damages against uh, the IRGC. What you're raising is perhaps the most serious question of all, and that is what happens with uh, when there's a violation. The truth is nobody knows because... What are you going to do? You have to go to the United Nations. You have to get a majority of the countries, meaning we need all the Europeans because we're not getting the Russians and the Chinese 
uh, to agree with us. And uh, by the way, even if you would get a rollback or a snapback, as they call it, of sanctions, all the deals that they signed, this is something that people haven't pointed out, all the deals that were signed till that point are grandfathered in and immune from sanctions. Hmm. That means that you can expect now a big rush to sign contracts. Some will be only hypothetical, but everybody's going to sign to shield them from possible reimposition of sanctions later on, because you've seen the Iranians say, we continue our struggle against the United States, we're going to continue our activities. And, uh, and, and it says that Iran uh, considers the reposition of sanctions freeing it from all its commitments, meaning it will no longer have to abide by any of the things that it agreed to in the agreement. Right. Uh, so essentially, it gives Iran you know, a free pass and on all these kind of things, except for perhaps the most blatant and, and uh, obvious uh, uh, violation, uh, which is not what they're going to do. They're right. going to be cheating all along as they have now, and they are going to... to um, accumulate all these things, and, and everybody will say, oh, for that we're not going to break the agreement, for that we're not going to break the agreement, and then we're going to be faced all of a sudden with the reality that the agreement was broken, that, that all of the uh, restrictions that we thought were, were in place. And he says, Khamenei says, we're going to continue the war against campaign against arrogance, a term for the United States. They don't hide uh, uh, their intent, and in fact, they, they point out why they believe and how they spoke to, to the people of Iran about how they emerged victorious from this uh, from this negotiation. Well, based on what you just said, then, here's another quote from the president. And it just seems, I don't want to call the president a liar, and certainly not in this forum, but it seems unrealistic based on what you just described. He said, with this deal, if Iran violates its commitments, there will be real consequences. Nuclear-related sanctions that have helped to cripple the Iranian economy will snap back into place. It seems that's unrealistic based on what you just described. It is true that they will that there is a snapback provision. Snapback is just a, another word. Right. Uh, Reinstate greater urgency right. to the idea that they will reimpose it. Right. But you have to remember, hundreds and hundreds of businessmen are going to be going to... Uh, Iran now. Hundreds are waiting. Uh, 300 Italians, 100, uh, 300 Frenchmen, 150 Italians. Uh, the foreign ministers of these countries are all going, and uh, they're going to be negotiating right away. We're talking about selling arms, uh, airplanes, civilian aircraft, other things. You're not going to reverse that so quickly. It's going to take a long time. It'll take six months, perhaps, until we actually sign deals and start implementing deals. They're not going to happen right away. But you're not going to be able to reverse it right away either. So the idea that somehow you push a button and it's going to click back the sanctions, it is true that our banking sanctions are very important and that some of the sanctions the United States has on terrorism and other things remain in place. Mm -hmm. But the the first thing that is happening, and, and the United States already went <coughs> to the Security Council to begin the process. They haven't yet submitted it. But they're going to submit this deal to the United Nations for action, meaning that before Congress, and yesterday the uh, chairman of Foreign Relations Committee, ranking Democrat, uh, Senator Corker, Senator Cardin, who initiated the legislation initially that, uh, if you remember back uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the Iran Nuclear Agreement Review Act, which the president signed. It was sponsored by 98 senators and 400 representatives established a 60-day period, actually 30 days, but 60 days right. during the recess as it is now, right. 
to consider the agreement. And now they're saying you're going to the United Nations for a vote before we even had a chance to consider it. All right. And in addition to which, you know that two of the components, the five-year uh, five lifting on the sanctions on conventional weapons and on ICBMs is not even in the deal. It's only in the United Nations uh, resolution. And it, I say these things not because people should understand that these are not uh, just details that are, are, are of limited significance. Uh, there is really no linkage between the removal of restrictions on the nuclear program and what Iran's behavior will be. In 10 years, Iran could be even more aggressive in the region and sponsor even more terrorism around the world and work harder to destroy Israel, and the restrictions would still be automatically removed. Well, let me do the process. Once it begins, it is, uh, you know, it's a moving train, and it's part of the reason why we feel so, uh, so strongly about, about the nature of some of the details uh, which we still all have to study, and we have to make sure that we're on firm ground, because there have been things that people have said that are, are really not true, but also many things that the administration said uh, or put forward initially that certainly are, uh, can be questioned when one looks at the at the actual language of the agreement. A, a moving train that even the U.S. Capitol will not be able to stop, it seems. Um, even with this deal... The President of the United States says, we will continue to have profound differences with Iran. Its support of terrorism, its use of proxies to destabilize parts of the Middle East. It, it is, he is telling us the type of country that we, the P5 plus one, are making a deal with, are making an agreement with. It, 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 it sounds a little bit absurd, especially in light of what happened yesterday. And, uh, you know, no doubt a connection. Uh, between the killer yesterday, as you said, and uh, you know some larger picture, the the largest state sponsor of terrorism in the world, one that the president of the United States acknowledges is doing their hardest to destabilize as many countries as possible in the Middle East, and we're in the middle of a negotiation with. Uh, actually, we're at the end of a negotiation with them. So, a couple points. Uh, one is that Iran made illegal purchases of nuclear technology last month. Last month, and this is a report from German, Germany's uh, Federal Office of Protection of the Constitution about the, the illicit technology that they that they they're constantly cheating on the deal. Now, that's while they're negotiating and trying to get into the best possible position. No respite from the campaign against arrogance. He declares death to America at the rally. You know, by the way, Canada has uh, decided to keep the sanctions in place. They're not removing their right. sanctions. Right. And while it may not be the most important thing it is it is still not something you can go over they already started iran re supplying money and support to palestinian islamic jihad and hamas uh, which they cut uh, severely over uh, recent months because of the money and because of the um, uh, uh, because of the restrictions on and the sanctions so they have started again providing money to hamas and islamic jihad in the aftermath and saying that this is really a demonstration of the confidence they have about what's going to happen and of course the the huge amount of money that is uh, that is going to be coming their way and even if they take 10% even though it's likely to be the reverse but if they spend 90% on domestic concerns and 10% of the 150 billion uh, get siphoned off into into the uh, their terrorist support activities Tell me, what is the situation going to look like yeah. in, in the global uh, fight against terrorism? And 
they make no bones. I mean, they don't uh, try to hide it. And Khamenei actually is very critical of the agreement right now, and saying that, uh, that we have to study the red lines. I mean, this could well be just uh, positioning themselves. But we, we see the support for terror. Everything continues uh, unabated. Why, is there still room and time for them to reject this deal? It isn't going to happen. Uh, but they, they're, well, they're going to try to counter any uh, review by the administration, by, by um, Congress, of, uh, of the bill presented by the administration. And, um, and yes, I, 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 uh, they, they will start playing games, but there is no way that anybody's going to try and rewrite this thing or go back. Everybody will scream and yell that, uh, that that's impossible, that we can't let them do it. If, for argument's sake, we're waiting for Congress to, you know, to approve, to ratify it, whatever you want to call it, and let's just say, for argument's sake, because it doesn't sound like there's going to be a need for that uh, in the long run, the way you're describing it. The other five countries, do they also have a procedure within their uh, within their own administrations, or they're, they're now, you know, they, they've already made a, uh, a statement that they're ready to go ahead with this agreement? Essentially, the, the latter. Uh, I'm sure everybody has a process for ratification of some kind, but it's all meaningless. It all depends on the United States and to some degree on what Iran does. Uh, the other countries that let the U.S. take the lead, and now they're putting it on, on America's shoulders. Um, you know, Khamenei uh, also could upset the apple cart, but he, he's not likely to because they have so much to gain from this. But he warned he said, uh, and this is a quote, that six states, of the six states participating in negotiations, the P5 plus one, he said, you know, that they are not trustworthy at all. Yeah. <laughs> so he's warning. He's wanting to that, talk. That the Americans and the others, you know, would, would could be the... They'll uh, violate the agreement. The agreement <laughs> when they have no interest and nothing, I mean, literally nothing to cheat about. Unbelievable. It's America's one and only Jewish... Moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world in the web, jmnam.org. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. We could do this for hours, but a, a very anxious and correct crowd wants to hear about um, what we can do, so we got to get to some strategy and some, to some recommendations. Uh, there are Jewish groups and those who identify not only with the Jewish, uh, with world jury, but uh, with great concern for Israel. There's some who have announced that they're going to be fighting uh, in Congress uh, to uh, against this deal. There's some who have uh, indicated that they're going to be lobbying in support of the deal. I wonder if those who are uh, going to do the uh, latter are aware of the fact that 78% of Israeli Jews feel it's a bad deal. And the reason I point this out is because if, in fact, everyone's sincere about their care for Israel, we have to remember who's on the front lines and who's most likely going to be most affected by this deal. The the 78% doesn't surprise you at all, right? It's across the board and across all political lines. And I'll I'll bet you it's higher. Um... And also, if you've seen that across the board, the political spectrum in Israel, uh, Herzog, the leader of the opposition, has spoken very strongly and appeared with Netanyahu and said that he will work together, though he won't join the government, to, to oppose this deal. He said, I think it's a bad deal for Israel and that we will cooperate when it comes to the security of Israel. This deal is dangerous, he said, and he likened it to Iran being, uh, is out of the cage and will become a regional tiger. 
the fact that Kahal, uh, Lapid came out with very strong statements about the, the nature of the deal, as have many others. So it's an across-the-board opposition. It's certainly true also in Egypt, in, in the UAE, in uh, Saudi Arabia, and all of these countries that are uh, very much opposed to, to it. And in America, I would say that the organizations and others are... Uh, of a mind. There's, uh, of course, one organization that claims to be pro-peace and pro-Israel, but I don't believe is either, um, that is already campaigning for it and saying they're going to spend money. I do not believe the campaign should be a Jewish campaign. This should be an American campaign about why this is dangerous to America. Right. And everybody who has a contact to a member of Congress ought to make their voices heard with those members of Congress. They, they're coming home for recess. They will be in the districts. They will, you know, certainly are still in, in Washington for a couple more days. We have uh, 60 days, so we don't, we don't need to do everything right now. And people who are asking for certain actions, we have to see how we, first of all, build up support amongst the members. They will be under tremendous pressure from the administration. And uh, I believe everybody has a right to make the case. But we have to look at what are the implications. What does this mean? when these um, sunset clauses will kick in. And, you know, th- there is still a lot of confusion. You saw, uh, just one example was this whole debate about whether Soleimani, whom we have talked about on the air many times, um, uh, who's the head of the Iran Revolutionary Guard, whether he is included in amongst the 800 institutions and individuals who are named by name in the agreement, and that's the bulk of the agreement, um, who are going to be removed at various stages from the list of people who are being sanctioned. And it turns out, and they say, no, this is a different Soleimani, who's the director of the uranium mining operations. It is true. He will be delisted at phase one of the agreement. The IRGC commander will be delisted at phase two, which is eight years in the deal. So Soleimani, the guy who is responsible for killing Americans for all of the planning of terrorist activities, He's, he is going to be removed from the list. It's just a little later down. And if you look at some of the aiders, of the others, the commanders of the Basiji, all of these people who, who, who people who openly say they want to remove Israel from the map, they want to destroy the United States, they they, they are listed in these uh, in, in these agreements. Right. So you you have to look at certain key factors. It's legitimizing Iran as a nuclear threshold state. It can start a nuclear arms race. It will increase the support for terrorism, and we're going to see it in Yemen. We'll see it in Gaza. We're going to see it in uh, in Lebanon. We're going to see them do more to support Assad. They're going to do more, they say, to fight uh, uh, ISIS. They actually leave uh, Lebanon out because they don't want to jeopardize uh, what goes there. But they talk about uh, uh, finding solutions in Yemen. We know what kind of solutions they are. And this idea that we can turn Iran from a friend, from a foe to a friend, it's just not realistic because the whole premise of, of the regime's existence, the whole ideology that's behind it, is one that is absolutely incompatible with what we're talking about. And we saw in the Sinai with Egypt fighting uh, you know, the terrorists, the jihadists and the others. Uh, just think what happens when they unleash uh, Iran once again on the region, this time supercharged by the, the money they will get.
Bill Clinton on the uh, deal with uh, North Korea. This is a good deal for the U.S. North Korea will freeze and then dismantle its nuclear program. The entire world will be safer as we slow the spread of nuclear weapons. The U.S. and international inspectors will carefully monitor North Korea to make sure it keeps its commitments. Uh, All these years later, how do we evaluate the accuracy of that assessment? You know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing twice and expecting a different outcome. Right. Even the language too often used is almost the same as was used in regard to North Korea. People can say there are differences. Indeed, they're not exactly the same, but the principle is the same. And the idea that they can break out, that they, that, for instance, Iran can uh, do all of this through North Korea or, more importantly, through China and develop the, continue their work on the ballistic missiles and weaponization and everything else and getting uh, all of the parts they want through Chinese sources, and we're not going to know because we don't have the right to inspect it. In many cases, as you know, in the new institutions where the IEA has suspicions, the International Atomic Energy Agency has suspicions, they have to go uh, to the Iranians and tell them what the suspicion is, right? They have to tell them why they have a, a basis for suspicion, and then they have 14 days <laughs> to, uh, to review that. And then in the initial days, so I think it gets it ends up being something like 24 days. And if you have intelligence information, if you have sources, dissidents, if you have uh, tat wiretaps <coughs> or other things, you're not going to give it to the Iranians because you're going to expose whatever source your information of your information is. So in fact, we're not going to be able to. Uh, uh, discover the new place, and they say, well, 14 days is a lot of time. We, 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 they, they, they can't dismantle a big operation. Well, what if it's a small operation? What if they're doing it in various places? And we know that there are places that we don't know about. Malcolm, we know about the role of uh, Senator Schumer and other members of the United States House, Rep- United States House of Representatives and the United States Senate. Uh, I say Senator Schumer because for months Jewish organizations have been stressing how important a role he has in this and how key his opinion and the direction he goes in could could have on this whole situation. Uh, we, we've put in a request for him to join us here. We haven't heard back yet, but hopefully we will. Is there any indication yet how he's leaning toward this deal with uh, Iran? Well, there are, let's say there are ongoing discussions with him, and I know that he has... Uh, reservations. The, the question is, is, two, is uh, twofold. One is, what do elected officials do now to help influence their colleagues and others? Right. There are. We have a long time till the vote. As I said, it's sixty right. days, uh, which means it'll come out around Rosh Hashanah time right. that the actual vote in Congress would take place, and there will be two phases. One is the initial vote up or down on the proposal and for that you need a majority in both houses the president has already indicated that he will veto i don't know why that was necessary if you really want to have a thorough discussion as he said in an open and dialogue why why say you're going to threaten it maybe the congress will find things that are really horrendous so why would you veto it and and say so a priori rather than waiting until the discussion takes place and then the president always has that option and then uh, they would need a two-thirds vote in both houses, which means all the Republicans, plus 13 Democrats in the Senate, and I think 80 Democrats in the House. There will be a lot of pressure. We see it already building. We see a lot of uh, groups 
uh, on the left that are being mobilized uh, to bring pressure on them to the members to, to sign. And this this um, framing it, and the president did this as well, and I think it's unfortunate that if you're not for this bill, you're for war. Yeah. That isn't the option. You could be for a different deal. You could be for something that retains the sanctions longer. You could be for uh, a, a deal that has other provisions. And to say simply that if anybody uh, doesn't support this, well, remember that the people we're dealing with killed and maimed U.S. soldiers, U.S. Uh, personnel throughout the Middle East over and over again, responsible for all sorts of um, terrorism activities, uh, say clearly what their intention is against the United States, that they want the Islamist flag over the White House, that they they threaten us, the idea that, that this somehow is going to lead to, to uh, a cheery era of uh, nursery rhymes in the Middle East is not realistic. So I hope that on all sides, this should not be vitriolic, this shouldn't be personal, this should be about the substance, debate the facts as they are, what's really in the deal, what's not in the deal, is there a way that it could be improved, that they could get uh, get uh, approval from the other parties uh, to it? Russia does not want to see Iran be a nuclear power. They're going to play the game because it's their ticket into influence, but and and they plan to make a lot, a lot of money out of uh, out of all of this. The um Likelihood. And people should remember the big rally on July 22nd in Times Square, where there were a wide variety of speakers, uh, many organizations sponsoring it. But again, you have many non-Jews who are coming there, uh, including Jim Woolsey, the former head of the CIA, and um, generals and other uh, former members of Congress, to Governor Pataki, who will be there. And I think everybody should have a right to hear what people have to say. And I think they have to be thoughtful comments. We have to convince people now, the American public, that this is bad, to convince the representatives of the American public, i.e. the Congress, that this is bad. And that's not done by screaming. It's done by making a legitimate case that the price that will be paid by future generations, and you know, this can be graduated up in, in different ways as we see how the process goes, and there's always polling going on. And you will see many ads coming out now that will help make the case uh, about what, what the danger is posed by this deal with Iran. That rally is Wednesday, 5.30 in Times Square. It's coming Wednesday. We'll remind everybody as we get closer. The likelihood that somebody in the Democratic Party would not go along with the president at this point is uh, is probably slim, unless one could argue that in some cases, in whatever, in, in a specific district that a representative or a state that a United States senator is in, they honestly believe that this decision, the way they act vis-a-vis the deal with Iran, could affect their reelection. Right? That that's what it essentially comes down to: the leverage of the president versus the you know how much will it affect my potential reelection. The president has tremendous leverage, but we have to start first with. Uh, as you said, Senator Gillibrand, Senator Schumer, Senator uh, Cory Booker, certainly Menendez has been out front, uh, Senator Kuhn, Senator Blumenthal, that these people who represent large Jewish constituencies who have close connections and have been out front on issues related to Israel and defending uh, the U.S.-Israel relationship and fighting terrorism, that they have to send a message to the other members of Congress about where they stand. 
And that doesn't mean it has to be on our timetable. We can. That's something that uh, uh, we have to see. But the, but the messages, number one, that they send are very important uh, during this time. And two, you know, we, we, the president has a bully pulpit. He has a lot of leverage. We already saw in that hour-long uh, press conference where he addressed a lot of the issues, and he's a convincing uh, uh, representative for his point of view. He, he, he can mobilize a lot of support. You'll have all the former secretaries of state, or many of them. You'll have others who, who, who will come out. Schultz and Kissinger you know, wrote an op-ed piece against this deal. Uh, hopefully that, they will sustain that and become articulate spokesmen for this uh, deal. And I think as people yes. really look at, at the deal and look at the content, and and see things that are not mentioned, like Parchin, other things, um, and the uh, potential for spreading terrorism, the support for the, Iran's activities. We learned more and more just in the last week about their activities in South America. All of these things will be will be radically changed by the infusion of money and by unleashing Iran on the internet in the international community with no restrictions, no price uh, on their heads right now. The, the the sanctions should have been gradually released. They're not. They're released again in six months or so, but it should have been in a much bigger period, longer period, where uh, uh, you know you, you you give one tranche and another as they as they actually perform. And and the president says they have the ability to monitor. We have the ability to think. Most of the places that like uh, Natanz and Ford though were discovered because. Dissidents gave the information. It wasn't Western intelligence that discovered them. So who knows how many places now are in development in some remote place. Um, uh, Iran has a lot of uh, earthquake-prone areas, so they're limited somewhat. and can't do it just anywhere. But there's certainty in the part of many of the people who know this, uh, who know Iran, that they have other facilities that we don't know about. Yeah, you, know, you, you made such an important point. I'd like to emphasize the um, many the alternative is war, and you said the president is is incorrect when he says that. But a lot of people in our community also think that's the case and are sometimes frustrated by that. Uh, and the reality is that you, the Prime Minister of Israel, and many others who are you know who are very wary of of the current deal would love to see and would agree to a deal that makes sense, a negotiation that made sense, the elimination of what what doesn't belong in this deal and the inclusion of what needs to be in this deal. And I think that's important that as we get out there and speak to members of the House of Representatives and speak to members of the United States Senate and to others, you know, to neighbors, friends, and other Americans, I think it's very important to emphasize that. We're not looking for war. We're looking for an arrangement, an agreement that makes sense. And many of the experts say that this deal will lead to war because of of the nature of the circumstances that are going to be built up in the Middle East. Look, I would like to have seen a good deal. I'm in favor of a good deal. Anything that would limit Iran's ability to develop nuclear weapons, to threaten all the countries in the region, to to support terrorism. But I would have wanted to see that the conditions are much stricter. Some of the European diplomats we move blame the United States, say that they turned it over to them and they, you know, they became Iran's lawyers. I wasn't in talks. I don't know. And I'm sure that the president, everybody else, all the members of Congress, they all want to see a good outcome out of this. They want to see a better deal, except for those who are the agents of the regime, including some uh, advocates in the United States who have close ties to, the, to them. The, 
that anybody who who is realistic knows how serious the stake is. And that's what I'm saying. I don't denigrate people who may feel that, look, this does make things better in the sense that you have some control. Otherwise, we'd have no control. Right. If the deal breaks down, all the, the restrictions on Iran are removed, and they go gung-ho ahead, you know, racing towards uh, a nuclear weapon again. And here you have uh, 6,000 centrifuges. Originally, it was supposed to be 100. Uh, but you have 6,000 out of the 19,000 uh, operating. The rest won't operate right now. The, um, uh, you know, the, the uh, number of facilities, the other things that are limited, the, the heavy water reactor uh, has to be shut down and, and um, uh, the core supposedly replaced. So there are things that are, are appear beneficial and uh, is the basis for their argument that, that the deal is good. But when you look at it overall and you know that you're dealing with a party that will cheat by its very nature and has always done so, and that Rouhani, who is painted as a moderate, and we see all these wonderful comments and seeing Zarif smiling. I mean, these guys who were involved in the bombing of the, of the Amiya, some of them involved, involved the bombing of the uh, bombing of the Jewish Community Center and the embassy in, in Argentina. That some of these guys are Holocaust deniers. That some of these guys, uh, you know, have been responsible for more executions than under Ahmadinejad, more than a thousand since they came to power, and the number steadily increases. Um, and we don't have access to the scientists. We don't have the PMD, the potential uh, possible military dimension information that was uh, sought. So the West made a lot of concessions in this, and. That's the, the balance that we have to, to find out. How much, what, what kind of danger are we leaving for this generation, but also for generations to come? This, so let's say that the deal holds for the 10 years. At the end of 10 years, essentially, Iran will be in a position to break out as a nuclear power. Right. Uh, there was a report in the Jerusalem Post that this is going to lead to an immediate increase in uh, defense aid and uh, weaponry to Israel. Is that, in fact, going to happen in the next few weeks, that there'll be a further commitment by the U.S. to the security of Israel? The president has offered that and, and did it again this week, and they wanted to negotiate. They did the same with the Arab countries, especially the Gulf countries, when they met them at the summit in uh, Camp David. They did offer uh, Israel to discuss uh, additional measures, additional perhaps assistance, but maybe access to certain weapons. Um, there are people who talk about getting them access to, to the super uh, bomb. And somebody pointed out to me it shouldn't be called a, a bunker buster because a bunker here is an irrelevancy. You need something that can be a mountain buster. Right. Um, so that is offered, but the prime minister decided not to engage in discussions on that because he said that it would be accepting already that this is a fait accompli and there's nothing that they can do about it. He still believes and has been uh, fighting this. Uh, perhaps later on they will um, advance talks on the other thing. Bougie Herzog has said repeatedly that he, would come, he was going to come to the United States to talk about compensatory uh, measures and talking about additional aid. The Prime Minister doesn't want to do it yet because he's afraid that it'll look like a capitulation. There are rumors that Herzog's going to join the government coalition, by the way. 
It's not going to happen now. It is something that has always been talked about. When I was in Israel last week, obviously it comes up. Uh, I don't think he sees it in his political interest right now, and Netanyahu is having so many problems with his coalition, which they revel in. Uh, so I, I don't know that they're in any hurry to do it, but he, he did rise above the partisanship right. and with Netanyahu, and uh, I think they even have been working on op-ed together, but whatever, he, he has sent very clear messages about recognizing and expressing the danger that he thinks this represents. Uh, all right, we can talk about this for hours, and we'll have time, obviously, over the next couple of weeks, uh, but I, I have to wrap up by asking you to following Malcolm, uh, this deal, as we know, and the framework certainly for the deal, looked like it was uh, already in place months ago. And this deal could have been uh, agreed to and uh, and um, and brought to the United States Congress uh, uh, back around Purim time or Pesach time or even Shavuos time. And instead, we see that this happened during the three weeks. And the first opportunity that we get to discuss this publicly and analyze it is at the beginning of the nine days. What is your uh, opinion regarding the timing of all this? You know, nothing is is coincidental. Everything is a message. But th- the fact is that there were aspects that were only agreed upon in the last few days, including this idea of lifting uh, the sanctions, the UN sanctions on the conventional we- weapons that uh, can be supplied to sold to Iran, and the lifting of the restrictions on parts for the uh, ballistic missiles, uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles, these were all resolved, from what I understand, just in the last couple of days, last couple of hours of the negotiations. There were real serious debates going on and the screaming and fighting that Zarif engaged in. And frankly, if you understand the mentality of people dealing with Secretary Kerry and the others, when he started screaming and yelling at them, they should have gotten up and walked out and tell him when you when he's prepared to treat them with respect. But when we are, uh, allow him and allow the Iranians to believe and be put in the driver's seat and in these negotiations and feeling that they could, you know, hold back and, and act in any way they wanted because the West, you know, tra- treated him like a petulant child, uh, that is a mistake because you have to always think about how do they view it. What is the culture of the people we're negotiating with? These bazaaris who are so expert at negotiations and at you know, talks over after their experience of 2,000 years. And to look at the, at the broader picture as well, we don't need, the solution is not the question, it's not going to be measured by what happens in the next month or five, or five months, maybe not the five years. What's going to happen 10 years from now, 15 years from now, we're going to have a, a radical Iran, and there's no expectation that you're going to have a different regime, maybe a different leader, but the, the fundamental structure remains. Right. Why not move to, to take steps to help uh, with the regime change? Why not open up the country in, in ways that will enable uh, young people and others? W- where was the demands for the release of the four Americans being held? How much less of a commitment could we demonstrate to the world if we don't have them included as part of our negotiating uh, position? Yeah. Um, next week we'll have an opportunity to discuss more. Wednesday, 5.30, Times Square, 42nd Street, New York City, to stop Iran now rally. And Malcolm, let's pray that uh, Americans uh, are able to convince members of the United States Congress uh, that there should be at least a second look at all this. And it should start with the people in the audience today. Now is the time to start. You can have another shot at them. Invite them to synagogues, to groups to meet 
during the recess, they're coming home for a long period, make sure that everybody knows that it's not enough for them simply to to be silent and say that they're going to vote the right way when it comes to it. We want them out front now. Malcolm, I thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak next week. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents and Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us here on a Friday morning Erev Shabbos to discuss the weekly update. Friday, uh, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Matos and Masse. Today is Rosh Chodesh, a one-day Rosh Chodesh. Menachem Av, our nine days format, kicks in on Monday here at JMNAM. Candle lighting at 8.04 on this Erev Shabbos, 8.04 your official candlelighting time. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Want to take this opportunity and wish a mazel tov to Yitzchak Menlowitz. His ufruf is this coming Shabbos. And we say mazel tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. And, of course, to his father, Shia, and to his mother, Elizabeth, and to everybody who's getting ready for the big celebration. I say mazel tov. Yitzchak Menlowitz celebrating his uh, bar mitzvah, his bar mitzvah. The re- I'll tell you why I said that in a second. His ufruf, this Shabbos. I'm just thinking in my mind how we likely announced his birth and bar mitzvah years ago. Uh, so we say mazal tov from all of us here at JM the AM on the big ufruf. JM in the AM, Friday morning, or by Yudin is in Israel. This time each and every Friday, every Arab Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning for you, Nachum, and everybody. Good Arab Shabbos, everybody. Good afternoon to those in Eretz Yisrael. It's two and a half hours right now before early Shabbos in Eretz Yisrael and three hours and change before regular Shabbos. It's rather hot in Eretz Yisrael today, but I'll tell you once again, you feel the Erev Shabbos. This is coming Shabbos Chazak and a lot to do today. Before we get to Matos and Masse, which is the concluding two parshios of the book of Bamidbar, which according to the Chinuch, there are two mitzvos in Matos, one positive and one restriction, and Masse has a total of six, two positive and four restrictions. Between the two parshios, we have eight mitzvos. Now, I would just like to share with you some of the laws of the nine days. I hope that this is the last year that we're going to be doing this. Next year, I pray these days will all be days of celebration. But it's important that we um, connect, that's probably the best word, with these days in all different ways. I'd like to begin by citing a Gemara in Bava Basra. It's the last Omud of the third chapter, Cheskat Sabatim, it's the Gemara Samach Amid Beis. And the Gemara tells us that after the destruction of the second Beis HaMikdosh, Rabu Prushin Yisrael, many Jews became ascetics, and they said, my goodness, now that the Beis HaMikdosh has been destroyed, lo lecho basar we're not going to eat meat. We're not going to drink wine. And they didn't mean for nine days. They meant period. No meat, no wine. And Rabbi Yoshua uh, tried to dissuade them and said to them, Come on, what's motivating you? And they said, What? Eat meat? From which korbanos were brought? And now that the Achshav Batel, 
now that the Beis Hamikdash has been destroyed, and the Mizbeach is literally inactive, we shall eat meat, and we should drink wine, which was used as nisachim, libations, accompanying the karbanos. So he said to them, well, if that's the case, you shouldn't eat bread either, because menachos, the karban mincha, the lechem haponim, this was all an integral part of the Beis Hamikdash. So they said, okay, payros. He said, yeah, but don't forget Bikurim. They said, other payros. Uh, as if to say, we'll subsist on that. So he said, if that's the case, be consistent. You shouldn't even drink water. Because after all, during the week of Sukkos, there was the mitzvah of Niso Hamayim. So the Gemara says, Shasku. Literally, they became silent after their discussion with him. And the Gemara says as follows. On the one hand, this is what Rabbi Yoshua said to them. Shalolis abil kol ikar efshar. Not to mourn at all is impossible. However, lis abil yoser midai efshar. To mourn excessively is also impossible. Because we don't make a decree upon the public, upon the tzibur, she'ena tzibur yecholun lamunbo. And therefore, I say that as we study and remind ourselves the laws of the nine days, we should do so and recognize that we're not looking to get out of it, as we'll discuss regarding a siyum. Yes, if a person is studying and it works out that every day he, she learns a certain amount and they conclude what they are studying during the nine days, fine. But to rush it up, and I'm not talking about camp situation, perhaps that might be different, etc., for Chinuch, but in general, we're not looking to, quote, beat the system. Yes, I'm at a uh, Simcha during the week, fine. I'm at a Pidyanaban, I'm at a Bris, etc. But to try to beat the system, I think, is really going against the nature of this Gemara in Baba Basra, quote, 60b. Now, before I even get to um, some of the laws of the nine days, I just want to, you to hear that literally within the last two weeks, so what they found right near Megiddo, up in the north of Eretz Yisrael, was the remains of an imperial Roman legionary camp. And what's the significance of this? This is, after all, the Romans defeated us. They destroyed the second base on Migdash. And they put down the Bar Kokhba revolt. But now, listen carefully. We are finding in our land their remains, their ruins. And while we focus on that which we don't have, especially these weeks, and especially the nine days, the other side of the coin, we celebrate our eternity. And that is so significant. And to do so here in Eretz Yisrael, it's not a contradiction. And secondly, amazing, 
UNESCO. We're not going to talk about its accomplishments, but even the non-Jew. What have they declared? That in Beit Sha'arim, again up in the north, there's a burial complex. And who is buried there? Rabbi Huda Hanasi, the one who redacted the Mishnah. The Gemara tells us in Shabbos, on the day Rabbi Akiva died, who was tortured to death by the Romans, the day that he died. And remember, we're going to recite, unfortunately, Ela Eskara next Sunday, Tishabav, the Kina, that we say on Tishabav regarding the Asura Ruge Malchus, and it's part of the Avoda of Yom Kippurim. But Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, the Gemara Shabbos tells us, was born on the day that Rabbi Kiva died. And that burial complex has been called a World Heritage Site. Amazing how that which perpetuated Yahadut, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, by editing and redacting the Mishnah, enabled Torah Shabbal Peh to accompany the Jew wherever he went throughout the world. This is once again the world recognizing the great significance. Not that we need their approbation, but once again, it's our reminder of our outliving all our enemies. Okay, we continue from the three weeks. Shaving and haircuts is prohibited during this time. If one has any questions regarding their job, etc., discuss it with your local Rav. We began the nine days last night, Thursday night. Today is Rosh Chodesh Av. And you should know that one should not eat meat or poultry, drink wine or grape juice during the nine days, except for Shabbos. Now, food that is cooked in a fleshic meat utensil may be eaten. Wine, grape juice, not beer, whiskey, and other liquors not containing wine may be consumed during this period, in keeping with our introduction from the Gemara Mbava Basra. Interesting point. Avelos, which is mourning, there is no chinuch for children. Yet children over the age of six, it's preferable to have them as well abstain from meat, from chicken, wine and grape juice during the nine days. If a sick person has to eat meat, then preferably they should eat poultry. Meat and wine may be consumed on Shabbos as usual during the nine days. And what does that mean? It means that if a person takes in Shabbos early today, so, right, whether it's from Plaga Mincha'an, or, or, or the idea is, while it is still daytime, as long as you are Makabel Shabbos, you can start your meal and have meat at that time. And similarly, one can extend, if they have their Shalosh Su'udos of meat, they can have that until they bench. After Shabbos, for Yom Lava Malka, one may not eat meat that's left over from the Shabbos meals. This Mozart Shabbos, the wine or grape juice from Avdallah should preferably be drunk 
by a young boy, less than bar mitzvah. If no such child is available, then the person making Havdalah may drink the wine by themselves. If a person completes, as I mentioned before, a section of learning during the nine days, he should make a seum, and all the participants as well can have the meat and wine at that time. Um, meat and wine may also be served at a celebration of a bris or a pidyin Bathing and um, showering during the nine days is one that the Shulchan Aruch says should be curtailed. Any questions regarding these laws, and there are many, please discuss with your local Rav. Swimming is not permitted during the nine days. Uh, children under uh, Barambas Mitzvah, supervised, etc., can go swimming. Um, now, in terms of Erev Shabbos, there are many opinions that say that one can bathe in the usual way for Shabbos. Nails can be cut during the nine days, preferably on Erev Shabbos. And except for children's clothing, clothing may not be washed or dry cleaned during the nine days, even if they'll not be worn until after this period. One should not iron or press clothes during the nine days. And a non-Jew may not wash clothes for a Jew unless it was given to the non-Jew before Rosh Chodesh Av. And this applies even if the Jew will not wear the clothing until after Tisha B'Av. On Shabbos, during the nine days, one may wear regular Shabbos clothes. However, new clothes should not be worn. New clothes may not be bought or worn during the nine days, and they may not be bought even if they will not be worn until after the ninth of Av. One may buy shoes for Tishab Av during the nine days. When it comes to one's home, painting and wallpapering a residence should not be done during the nine days. However, if it was started before this period, the work can continue until Shabbos Chazon. And one may plaster an apartment during the entire three weeks. One should not put down linoleum, carpet, or tiles during the nine days. One who rented an apartment or bought a house may fix paint if occupancy will not occur till after Tisha B'Av. Furniture, expensive utensils should preferably not be bought during the nine days, even if no blessing of Shechianu needs to be recited. Now, grass and hedges should again preferably not be trimmed unless it would otherwise be difficult to walk by. And finally, it's inappropriate to give gifts during the nine days and unless essential, elective surgery should not be performed as well during these nine days. I'd like to focus a little bit on partios, matos, and masse, and what you have 
in Matos, in chapter 32, is the two tribes of Reuven and Gud, who have an abundant amount of sheep and cattle. They come to Moshe with the request, We want to take our heritage here on this side of the Jordan. Do not make us go into Eretz Yisrael. Moshe is very unhappy, and he lets them know how unhappy. And once again, God forbid, this could be a demoralization to the Jewish people. Moshe works out a deal if they go chalutzim, if they lead in battle, the rest of the Jewish people healthy them to conquer, then they can come back and um, have their nachala on this side of the Yardin. Now you'll note, throughout chapter 32, bring the Chumash to the table tonight, you deal with the two tribes of Reuven and Gad. It's only when it comes to finally, towards the end of the chapter, Pasuk 33, Vayitain lehem Moshe, Moshe gives to them, who's the them? Livnei Gad, Livnei Reuven, and Vlachatsi Shevan Amanashe Ben Yosef. Moshe gives to the two and a half tribes. Where did Chatsi Shevet Menashe come from? So I'm going to tell you to look in the Nitziv, who has a very interesting explanation. I'll tell you to look in the Chizkuni, who has a very interesting explanation. Time doesn't allow me to go into those two. I'm going to share with you what I heard from an Adam Gadol, very interesting. These two tribes, with all the justification, are lacking a pining and a proper appreciation for Eretz Yisrael. Why does he therefore, Moshe, give them part of Shevet Menashe? Because, as Rashi teaches us, in the beginning of Perek Chav Zayin 27 in Parshas Pinchas last week, whereby the Torah tells us that the daughters of Slavchad, and they come from the tribe of Menashe, and Ben Yosef, and Rashi says, my goodness, why is Yosef included here? We don't usually have a grandfather and a great-grandfather. So Rashi tells you the idea is Yosef Yosef had great love and appreciation for the land of Israel. As he instructs them, make sure you take my remains with you. Atzmos Yosef and his daughters in last week's parsha, namely Benos Lavchad, they had great love and desire for the land of Israel. And so Moshe wanted to positively influence the two and a half tribes of Reuven and Gud, and therefore, during this time that they go into outside of Eretz Yisrael, they should have a strong connection with Menashe, who always pined and appreciated Eretz Yisrael. I believe for us today, the message is of a similar nature, namely, Ravolbi, in his second volume of Ali Shur, tells us that especially at this time of the year, there are six brachos in our Shemona Esrei that focus on the future Geula, redemption of the Jewish people. The bracha of Mechayeh HaMesim, literally the revival of the dead, which will happen in the future. Goel Yisrael, God who redeems the Jewish people. Mechabetz Nitchei Amo Yisrael, the one who ingathers the dispersed members of the Jewish people. The fourth is Bonei Yerushalayim, the one who rebuilds Jerusalem. The fifth is Matzmiach, 
Karen Yeshua, who brings forth the Moshiach. And finally, Hamachzir Shchinosalitzion, who returns his divine presence to Tzion. These six brachos, and especially the two that mention Yerushalayim and Tzion, therein, when we say them, we should pause and we should think of the consequence of the loss of the Beis Hamikdash, and so too. Diet or no diet, you have to wash for this Shabbos. You have to wash for next Shabbos. Uvenei Yerushalayim when you say that bracha, I'm going to try to help you with what you should think about. There's a very famous medrash in Echor Rabbah, chapter 1, paragraph 24, on the verse, Bechol Sivke Balaila, literally talking about Yerushalayim, she cries at night. So the medrash says there was a young mother that Lo'alenu lost her child. She would cry at nighttime. Her crying would wake up Rabbi Gamliel, and he would cry as well for the Churban Abayis. My goodness, what's the connection between Lo'alenu, this mother, having lost her child, and Rabbi Gamliel crying for the Churban Abayis? So I heard from my teachers a very powerful idea, and that is as follows. When we had a Beis Migdosh, we lived in a time of Hashra'as Shechina, where God's presence was ever felt in our midst. His presence felt in our midst meant that there's Midas Rachamim at all times. It means that there was Sason and Simcha, there was happiness and there was joy all of the time. Lo'alenu, now that the Beis Hamidosh was destroyed, there's Midas Hadin. Now that the Beis Hamidosh has been destroyed, there's personal, there's communal sorrows, personal sorrows that we hear, Lo'alenu, of different persons with different sicknesses, etc., and all kinds of communal sorrows. It all stems from the fact that we don't have yet that third Beis Hamidosh. So here's the chance. This week, especially when you dive in the Shimon Esrei and you come to these brachos, especially the Yushalayim Ircha, especially a Machzir Shechina Solit Sion, pause for a moment and remember what it is that we are lacking. And please, God, we should be Zolcha that speedily in our times we should see a Machzir Shechina Solit Sion. I take this opportunity of wishing everybody a Shabbat Shalom, a good Chodesh, and a very meaningful, hopefully a month that's going to change from sorrow to gladness. Shabbat Shalom to all. Well, uh, many people are already reacting to a story that broke uh, just about 35 minutes ago. There is a website, uh, thelakewoodscoop.com, and it says as follows. 
And this is from them. I quote from them. One of our well-placed sources in the United States Senate told the Lakewood Scoop that Jonathan Pollard will be released on parole. Pollard, approximately 60 years old, was working as a military intelligence analyst in the Navy when he was arrested in 1985 after passing classified information to Israel. In 1987, he was sentenced to life in prison, the only American ever sentenced to life for spying for a U.S. ally. On November 21, Pollard entered the 30th year of his sentence, meaning November 21st of 2014. Despite a federal law which states that a person sentenced to life shall be released on parole after serving 30 years of a life sentence, the parole commission several months ago indicated that a, the projected release date of November 21, 2015 was not automatic, and there was the likelihood that he could serve life in prison if there is a, quote, reasonable probability that he would commit a crime upon his release. However, the source in the U.S. Senate tells the Lakewood Scoop the decision to grant him parole came following a hearing at which, quote, the U.S. government no longer objected to his release based on national security risks. During his nearly 30-year imprisonment, he's been hospitalized several times with various health issues. With his health quickly deteriorating, his wife, Esther, strongly lobbied the Israeli government to secure his release, saying he had very limited access to appropriate care. Late Israeli Prime Minister Rabin was the first Prime Minister to openly negotiate for Pollard's release as part of the peace process. Although President Clinton promised Prime Minister Rabin that he would release Jonathan as part of a Middle East peace settlement, the President refused to honor his promise after Rabin was assassinated. This according to the Pollard page. The page also stated that Rabin's successor, Prime Minister Perez, continued to link Jonathan to the peace process and even went so far as to include a spy swap proposal as part of the deal for Pollard's release. Last year, Prime Minister Netanyahu had asked U.S. President Obama to commute Pollard's sentence but was denied. Based on the parole hearing, Pollard is expected to be released November 21, 2015 after serving exactly 30 years of his sentence. This comes from the Lakewood Scoop. We inquired from our own sources about the likelihood that this could actually take place, the likelihood that Jonathan Pollard could be released this uh, coming November. And the response we got from uh, what I consider to be a very reliable source, it is a real possibility. So this is um, this is very interesting news. I don't want to say anything yet in terms of being great news or celebratory news on this Rosh Chodesh Av because there's obviously no confirmation and uh, despite the fact that this article is pretty definitive uh, we really don't know what the answer is but there is a possibility and some might say a strong possibility and others based on this article might say a fait accompli that uh, Jonathan Pollard could be released this coming November please God please God please God J.M. and the A.M. at six minutes before nine o'clock on this Erev Shabbos. Parshas Matos and Masay. Double Parsha to close out the book of Bamidbar. Today is Rosh Chodesh Menachem Av, a one-day Rosh Chodesh Menachem Av. We continue to say Alvayavo through Mincha today. Candle lighting at 8.04. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. 8.04, official candle lighting time. Amazing programming on our stream all day long. Don't forget, Kedem has an incredible presentation of an Erev Shabbos music mix from 10 a.m. all the way until candle lighting time. It's about 10 hours worth uh, coming up between 10 and 8 
on our stream at jmnam.org, so make sure to be tuned into that. And, of course, on the NSN app as well from anywhere around the world. Um, Naomi Nachman is coming up next. She is uh, going to be doing a brand-new edition of Table for Two. You'll hear between 9 and 10 o'clock. Brand-new edition of Table for Two with some amazing guests as usual. Today she will speak with the... um, the uh, head of the 10-acre chip company, Tony Goodman, Shlomo and Schiffer Klein from Joy of Kosher, and fellow student Shoshana from the CKCA Summer Intensive Cooking Program. Naomi Nachman coming up next, jmtheam.org and on the NSN app. Time to say good Shabbos. Journeys at JM in the AM.
our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Broadcasting live from the uh, Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmdm.org. Candle lighting at 8.04. Have a wonderful Shabbos, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. Monday morning, our nine days format will begin. My father's eulogy of the Lubavitcher Rebbe will be included on Monday's show at around 8 o'clock. Uh, don't forget, Matis has news from Israel in English during Sunday's JM Sunday. So tune in between 7 and 9 a.m. The report from Israel will be in English. Um, as we said... We've just heard reports about the uh, imminent release of Jonathan Pollard. We have no idea about the accuracy, but we're hoping and praying that, in fact, it's true. Obviously, we'll speak more about it next week, and I'm sure you'll see plenty over the weekend, hopefully plenty over the weekend, regarding that news story. And uh, that should do it. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend. Until Naomi Nachman is next at org. Till next week, Nachman Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.